from the Ghost Tactical Production Studio. Welcome to the Armed Citizen Podcast. And now your host, Trey Miller. Welcome, everybody. I am your host, Trey Miller with Ghost Tactical Productions. And today we've got a very special guest joining us. She is a wife. She is a mother. She is an author. She's an NRA board member. She's a veteran. And oh, yeah, she does a little shooting on the side. Uh, She's only a multi-world and national champion across many different platforms of competitive shooting. But we have the very one and only Julie Golub. Thank you for joining us this week, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. So I know that you have a lot of things on your plate and some of the stuff that I just read off were just the stuff that we know about as a general public, but I can't imagine what your schedule with now being a member <laughs> of the NRA board and writing books and being a mom, you know, and being a wife and, and obviously you're shooting. How hectic are your days? Um, pretty hectic. I'm like a pretty meticulous planner. So I like to have things, you know, scheduled out in advance and I have to write everything down or I will always forget it. <laughs> um, right. But it's, you know, it's just a balancing act. When you become a parent, all of a sudden you like develop these multitasking skills <laughs> and you, when you know, you sometimes not, right? you do well, sometimes you don't. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Sink or swim. <laughs> exactly. You have three different books. You have one that's more about competitive shooting. And then you have one that you wrote, I guess, when you were pregnant about shooting while pregnant. And then, you know, the book that came out last year or earlier this year, I think it was last December or something like that. And I read it before SHOT Show and all that. And it's more about safety for for the kids. And I thought that was that was an awesome book. And, we, you know, I discussed it. We talked at SHOT Show. But just the fact that you actually are out there making it easier for parents to introduce gun safety to their children, you know, how big of a role has that played since you have become a parent? You know, I think everything that I've done, whether it's blogging or writing books or videos, it it represents a, you know, just an era in my life. And I think it's one of those things like you can talk about how to talk to kids about guns. You can talk about shooting in competition. You can talk about all these things. But unless you're actually in it, living it, doing it, it's uh, (laughs) you don't have a very you don't have a perspective. And then when you do gain that perspective, if you can share it with others, it's really motivating. So, you know, it, the series of books throughout my career have just, just been kind of, you know, naturally happening as, you know, I've become a shooter, become a mom and, and all that. So it's, it's fun and it's neat. And I'm glad that it can be, they can be a resource for people out there because there's, there's not a lot of it and it can be hard to find. Right. And, you know, kind of give some people some background that may not know your background. Um, What age did you start shooting? What age did you start shooting competitively and all that? Sure. Uh, I grew up shooting with my dad in upstate New York. I was a daddy's girl. I always ended up going to the range with him because I knew I would get a happy meal. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that, was, oh, yeah. that went way back. And uh, <laughs> eventually I really enjoyed the people there. It was the, the range was the one place that I was a kid, but people still respected me, if that makes sense. And so I just, I fell in love with it working. And uh, I didn't start competing until I was a teenager when I was 14 years old. But by then I had this huge foundation of, of safety knowledge and experience from being a range officer on the range with dad that it was just like this natural progression. And uh, I started shooting as a teenager and, and uh, went to my first nationals as a junior in high school and was recruited to shoot for the army. So that kind of laid the foundation for everything that's, that's built up to today. 
and that's a that's a great little transition there because I was going to bring up you know the marksmanship unit with the army, and a lot of people don't realize that you know each individual branch has a shooting team, and when you said you're recruited by the army to come shoot. Can you maybe kind of go in a little bit depth as to what it what it's like to be part of a marksmanship unit? You know, where you you're pretty much practicing every day and then shooting competitions on weekends. Is that correct? Hey, for the most part, I mean, I may or may not have painted a few rocks while I was there. <laughs> there you go. I understand that. <laughs> Um, but what's really neat about the U.S. Army Marksmanship Unit in particular is it is a dedicated unit. So if you are recruited, you're guaranteed, for me at least, I was guaranteed one year to prove that I could meet certain benchmarks. So it's it's one of those things that it's an incredible opportunity. Yes, you have lots of ammo. Yes, you have great instruction. Yes, you have a lot of range time. But you also have really tough gates. And if you aren't progressing as fast as you need to, you get to go join the regular army in your original job, your MLS. So um, it's a lot of pressure and your job is to compete and win. So you, you go into it going, all right, this is my investment. I'm going to, at least I did, you know, like, here's my five years. I got to make it good, <laughs> make them count. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of how it worked for me. And uh, the, the AMU is a little different now, obviously. I mean, I could have retired from the army uh, last year. So things have obviously progressed and changed, but wow, what a, what an incredible place to, you know, teach marksmanship and have an example of how, how great the military and its teams can be um, through the different services. Right. And, and so when you're with the marksmanship team, I mean, do you supply your guns? Do you get sponsors while you're in the army? Or if they say, Hey, I'm going to go shoot USPSA this week and I want to shoot my Smith and Wesson 2.0 or whatever, are they going to provide those guns or how does that, I mean, do you have your own private armor as well? I mean, do, or do you go through your unit armor? I mean, how does that work? It's, it's all in house. I mean, if you don't have a personally owned weapon, a POW as they called it, um, then you basically have everything that you need supplied by the army marksmanship unit. So there's a shop that does all the gunsmithing. There's an armor where you stroll all the firearms. If you, if you don't live off base, um, it's, it's set up in a way so that at 18 years old, you're coming in, you, you can't carry a gun. You, you can't, have a gun on base if you're not 21 or even at all in some cases. And so it's set up so that you're completely contained and able to get up in the morning, do your PT, physical training, and then <laughs> head to the range, um, stopping at the, the unit before you go to grab your guns and any ammo. So so when you guys go to a, a match on a weekend or during the week or whatever, you know, are you there? Do you get there a day or two early to practice or do they lie to do that? And then once you're there at the match, not only are you there representing the army and you're shooting for your own personal pride and for the pride of the army, but are you also out there looking for the next generation shooters as well? Or how does that work? So the way the AMU typically works is there is a very strict schedule that uh, shooters adhere to. So on the action team, for example, they're going to outline the matches that you go do during the year. And for the most part in USPSA or IDPA or those types of sports, there is no practice day beforehand. So you literally just jump in the car or on the plane and go to a match. Um, with precision pistol and, and NRA action pistol, a little different, but for the most part, it's, you know, basically that's go time. You've, you've trained all week. Now you're ready to, 
to, to hit the competition range, so to speak. And then, of course, you have a, a structure. You're, you're not just running willy-nilly all over the place <laughs> with your teammates. Right. Um, there's, <laughs> you know, there's a chain of command. So you have someone in charge um, that's either keeping an eye out for new talent or uh, sometimes there's not even an opportunity. There's no slots available. So it all depends on each specific team. When I was there, I think there were seven different shooting teams. So you've got rifle teams, you've got pistol teams, you've got shotgun teams, and of course the uh, armor in the shop. And it's, it's even expanded beyond that to include uh, Paralympic teams and, and stuff like awesome. that now. So yeah. it's pretty neat. You know, I want to transition a little bit into the competitive shooting side. And like you said, you started competitive shooting when you were 14. What did you start out with? Was it Steel Challenge? Was it, you know, what, what all did you start out with when you say you first started at 14? So USPSA or IPSA practical shooting, that's, that's where I, you know, cut my teeth on how to become a range officer. And so I knew all of the rules. I, could, I knew all the commands. And, and uh, I, I watched my, my shooting heroes, my Rob Latham, Jerry Michelik, you know, Keith right. Latham shooting. Now and they're I peers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's kind of funny. But I even have photos of me when I'm little. Uh, being a, a range officer for Rob Latham and we laugh and laugh because wow. I'm like wow. like four feet tall and of course Rob's you know very tall he's a little heavier now <laughs> a little bit <laughs> but, yeah uh, I'm sure it's uh it's it's all good times and 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 that's I, I I fell in love with the sport because of the people I enjoyed the the structure of the range and being a naturally competitive person it was just the right fit right so I think it's amazing. You started when you were 14 and you basically said that you were a daddy's girl and that's how you got it starting. Uh, do your kids shoot? Are you introducing them into the world of competitive shooting and does your husband shoot as well? Yeah, my, my husband and I um, actually went on a few date matches before we got married and uh, he enjoys shooting. Um, mostly he's more into the nostalgia stuff. So competition isn't completely his thing, um, but he does enjoy some of the divisions and shooting sports that I typically don't compete in like you know, precision rifle or right. old school revolvers. He's very eclectic. <laughs> well, I would um, imagine it's, it's kind of an ego shot when you're, you're dating someone and she's a world champion and, you know, you probably don't want to go head to head with you, but did, <laughs> was, was that an interesting dynamic when did, did he know, obviously when you went shooting that you were who you are? <laughs> uh, definitely. Definitely. We met okay. because of, we even met at shot. Oh, okay. Show, good. So. <laughs> oh, cool. So we, there you go. We, so he knew who we you met were. that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was smart to stay away from all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And uh, with my daughters, um, I have two. I have a 10-year-old and a five-year-old. And my 10-year-old has competed with me a number of times in rimfire events. And uh, oh, wow. I'll tell you what, that's just, that's really, you know, it, it really comes together. You learn so much about being a good instructor and thinking about safety when you're dealing with younger junior competitors. So that's been a great learning experience for me. And uh, my littlest one, she hasn't competed yet, but she, she does enjoy you know, shooting its fruit, some fruit and some candy canes and stuff like that. So she enjoys that. <laughs> of course. And I've got, I've got some questions that some of my Patreon um, supporters sent to me to want me to ask you if you don't mind. And awesome. one of them kind of goes into the, um, the kids shooting. It comes from Clover Tech. And he says, what kind of advice do you give your daughter about competitive shooting that could translate to other kiddos? So one of the big things that I'm really focused on, because it's my job, because I'm a professional shooter, you know, a lot of people, I get a little bit more attention in some places. I obviously have sponsors. 
And it's been extremely important for me to first and foremost, stress safety. I will not, you know, if she's, if she's not focused, if she's not, you know, feeling it and she's starting to make those little errors in firearm safety, we're done. We're, we're done with the session for the day. Right. Um, but the second thing is it's all about fun. Um, it's, it becomes a girl's weekend for us. It's mommy daughter time, or sometimes she shoots with my husband. It's becomes that exclusive special experience. It's not a shared experience with her sibling. It's something that we do together. And if you can make it as fun as possible and as special as possible, that's the thing we got. We really need to avoid, you know, the, the traditional dance mom <laughs> kind of stuff wow. that you see, um, because yeah. it does trickle over into competition. Sometimes parents are a little too hard on their kids. And at the end of the day, it's not just about competing. This is a life skill. This is something that can potentially save their life. And so when you look at it from that angle and, and not having a fear of firearms and having fun with them, that's, that's one of the ways that I think is, is the best to go about it. And, and you got to remember too, this is an, a learning experience for you. I mean, if you're a, a parent and you're teaching your kids for the first time, I mean, it's all, you're all learning together. So, right, you know, right. sometimes you just have to stop and say, okay, maybe I'm being too hard or maybe, maybe I can say something that'll be, or phrase it in a way that's going to be more effective. Yeah. Uh, G webs, uh, gun websites over there out on YouTube and all that. One of the original YouTube channels says, is there a, any stage from any competition that stands out in your mind that, there's that stage that if you could shoot that stage over and over and over for the rest of your life, that was the one stage you remember the most? There have been a couple of, you know, when it all comes together perfectly and there's no way to, that you could possibly, you know, replicate it. And, and what's right. really neat about competition is you always have that feeling because, you know, your second run is always going to be better than your first run in your mind, right? And you only have one chance to do it. But there have been a few um, at nationals, especially that I remember. I remember every single shot that I took on them and the exact stage and my footwork and everything. Um, but it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> I hear you. Um, because, no, I understand. Because, you know, it's you never happened that, to me, so... <laughs> Um, so, you know, a handful of times and, uh, more importantly though, is I really try to remember the moments where I feel really good about either a course of fire or a really hard string or something. Cause I want to remember that because it's a confidence builder later on. So if I see something similar, I'm like, no, you got this, I've done this before. This is easy peasy. And, uh, it helps settle the mind. What are the coolest ranges? Do you, do you have one particular range that all over the world that you've traveled? What's like the coolest range you ever shot at? Hands down, there's an indoor range in Moscow, Russia. Oh, okay. And it, it, you can, I, I, you can shoot up buildings in this thing. <laughs> I mean, it's like they wow. had a two story structure in there. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And of course, you know, it makes sense, you know, Moscow is a little cold. And so, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. And so to have an indoor facility that's almost like having an outdoor facility and in, in some ways even better um, was, is pretty neat. And it, it was uh, definitely one of the most spectacular ranges. But you know what? We have a lot of really good ranges in the U.S. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy. I like a, a good tall berm um, and, uh, you know, something that's easy to get around on. Um, I prefer, you know, regular grass instead of gravel and that sort of thing. But right. at the end of the day, you got a backstop and a place to shoot. I'm happy. <laughs> Now, the next question that I kind of want to talk about is the perception of America and guns when you are traveling worldwide. Now, obviously, you're going to be around gun people even overseas, mm -hmm. but is there a, a, 
wild, wild west perception that a lot of people have of us with our guns in America? I wouldn't say um, mostly the traveling that I've done has been pro competitive, you know, competition right. shooting and pro gun. I think the the um, the biggest sentiment that comes across is um, how how accessible it is. I mean, when you look at international um, shooting competitions and shooting sports, the vast majority of the competitors that are shooting in them have a significant, well, they're usually wealthy. Let's just be, you know, sure, frank yeah. about it. Sure. And uh, because it, the taxes that you have to pay on firearms and ammunition and, and the accessibility for ranges, that usually comes with, you know, somebody who's doing pretty well. Um, right. Whereas in the U.S., I mean, you can be, you know, middle-class America and be a world champion. Um, right. And that's, that's really neat. And I, so there's a little bit of envy there. Um, and, uh, you know, it all comes with the, the fact that, you know, we do have the Second Amendment. We do have the ability to shoot at different, you know, all sorts of different competitions. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's more of like, wow, what would it be like to live <laughs> in America to be able to do all this stuff? And you only have to pay that much for ammo? Wow, kind of right. thing. In other countries, you know, a lot of people hear us and say, well, man, I wish we wouldn't have to do that. It's kind of messed up. That we have to go fill out paperwork and we have to wait 10 days in California and all that. And I'll say to every now and then, as bad as you think it is here, try going to Australia. Try going to these other countries where it might take you a year. It might take us a year to get a stamp for a suppressor or an SBR or whatever, but it might take a year or two to get a license to own a firearm because you have to prove this for a specific reason. And then the types of firearms, you may not be able to get a semi-automatic pistol. It might be a bolt action rifle. And so I always say, you know, as bad as you think we have it here in America, we're really, even today, we're still pretty good on gun control, you know, lack of gun control and, and being accessible to everyone, whether you can go down to the gun shop and get a hundred dollar trade in or something to where anyone can buy a firearm that other countries, they look at us and say, man, they, they complain a lot over in America, but I'd love to be over there. So I wonder how that dynamic was, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I think perspective is a valuable thing to have. And, and there's a lot of learning lessons, you know, what seems to sound reasonable overseas, we have case studies like, well, guess what? It didn't do anything for you. It didn't help you. And so that's very valuable ammunition pun intended for us when we are battling these gun control debates and uh and battles uh, across the u.s so and, and in the state so it's hard um and, but at the same time the more supportive we are of shooters abroad who are able to compete and carry the torch and and do good things with firearms the better now you have gotten into the the political arena to a certain extent you're not running for <laughs> office as far as a legislator but you did join the nra board this year and can you kind of go into the process of were you approached by someone or did you feel the obligation to do that or how did the whole idea of i think i'll try to run for nra board so i uh, really kind of received the best of all worlds in that sense. Obviously, I've been supportive in the NRA and the Second Amendment. I've been a benefactor member forever. Um, but I was actually nominated by the NRA board's nominating committee. So they look at people outside of the current board members and, uh, in, and within, and they make recommendations on who they think would be a good board member. And so when I received the call, <laughs> then I was right. like, oh, you know, would you like to be nominated? And, and it was like one of those things that I had honestly never even thought about because 
Right. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like being on the board of directors for a major company. It's not something that right. you really think about as just, you know, somebody who's, you know, like a purchaser or somebody who's like go team kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's been eye opening. Um, it's, <laughs> I bet it has. <laughs> <laughs> first foray into politics. I think that the biggest um, pro and con at the same time is, you know, being uh, a sounding board in a lot of ways that makes me be able to give a perspective and be helpful. Um, but a lot of people uh, only think of their NRA as it pertains to them and not the big right. picture. And so that's my greatest challenge to say, oh, yes, I hear you. I do understand. But did you know that, um, though, you know, you may not like getting a phone call from the NRA, but they're very effective for others. <laughs> you know? right. so, no, you're right. Yeah. It's one of those things where you look at the big picture, it changes things. And, um, you know, people people care about what they care about specifically. But that's been my, my greatest challenge with it all, but it's, it's been really neat. And, uh, you know, you hear all these things about, oh, the NRA board, you know, they're a bunch of old guys and they're mean and they're, you know, but they're such, a, they're kind, amazing, you know, passionate people who volunteer. I mean, this is a volunteer right. thing. Nobody's right. getting paid. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I remember, um, oh, it was maybe April or something like that. And I got an email from you and it was leading up to the NRA meetings and, you know, asked my opinion, NRA and all that. And, and I think I'm, I've been very vocal with, I do yeah. not agree with a lot of the stuff that the NRA sure. is doing as a whole, which yeah. I'm sure you get a lot, but yeah. I thought it was nice for you to sit there and say, what exactly are you disliking and then you and I had a back and forth with several emails and talking about well here's what we'd like to do and here's maybe something that we brought up in the meetings and there are things that, that that's what we need to go into their meetings knowing that here's what not only people are maybe not happy with this but here's what they're unhappy about and here's why and so I think that that is an awesome thing so I appreciate the fact that <laughs> I'm sure you reached out to many 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 people but the fact that you 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 get an email from someone who's an NRA board member who seems to genuinely care about some of the disgruntled feelings that we have towards them. And it may be, and I told people all before, I said, you know, just because I dropped my membership of the NRA doesn't mean that I'm never going to come back. It just mm -hmm. right now, it's one of those things where I want to see what they're going to do with this. I want to see where they're going to going. And for me, I think I think the email, the, the joint statement between Cox and, and LaPierre back in October on the bump stock, that was a reactionary comment, I'm sure, but that resonated with me. It was like, whoa, you know, you're actually asking the ATF to look at something and that, that kind of upset me and all that. So I'm, you know, you're beyond that. You're, you're, you're not part of that. Um, I do appreciate the fact that you reached out and were looking for insight because that means a lot. That's the first time that I've ever been contacted by an NRA board member to ask why, you know, maybe I'm not happy. So I thought that was really cool. And I'm sure everyone else that you uh, sent the email to appreciate that as well. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's a delicate balance. And, you know, ultimately, your membership and your membership dollars are come down to how you feel. And, um, and, you know, and it's a, it's a delicate balance between, you know, some people who want one extreme and, and some people that want another. And with, you know, 6 million members, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we can't even agree on where to eat at a restaurant. Betcha. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, so. I, I think a lot of it is the, the split between the ILA and the NRA. Some people think that it's all one and, and to a certain extent it is, but the ILA is the governing, the legislative strong arm of the NRA side. And then you also have the side of the NRA that I think that people still love and, and really hold dear their heart is the instruction, you know, the the youth side of, of safety, 
So the training and all that, I think that's the side that a lot of people really, really care about the NRA. But unfortunately, what we hear and see from the NRA is what actually is the ILA. And I think a lot of people may not be able to distinguish between the two. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, there are certainly, you know, moments where, um, you know, I'm not going to agree with what everybody says or whatever things. That's a good thing. Yes, exactly. But at the end of the day, I know. And the reason why I agreed to to even run is the fact that, you know, the NRA is the lead organization here when it comes to defending our rights. And I want to be a part of anything I can to, you know, preserve that heritage for my girls and uh, for other people as well. So it's, it, it's been a lot of fun and I've got two years left and uh, <laughs> what I can do. <laughs> I, well, I hope you're still enjoying um, that aspect of your life. I know that the NRA is also the NRA women. Uh, you're you're involved, and I think it's season four or five. I think it's season five. five yes, season five. Of Love at first shot. You and uh, Natalie Foster, are kind of. I guess you the co-host, or you're kind of running this. How how is that? It's a great thing where if people aren't familiar with it, you've got four professional competitive shooters paired up with four, or actually one and one, but there's four competitive and four amateur shooters. And is, is it kind of like a top shot type thing? I mean, how would you explain it to people? Because I think it's fascinating, not only to, to bring more women in, but I think it's amazing that you're doing professional and amateur teamed up together. Yeah, it's, it's basically pro-am meets top shot. So um, awesome. it's, it's really neat because you see, you know, people who have, uh, women who have a ton of experience in the c- competition world paired up with somebody who, in some cases, shot once before um so they're able to take them it's you know it's not going to be one of those uh shows where you're like oh yeah this is the fastest time in the world kind of thing but you're going to see women grow and and get excited and and it's all around firearms and and being safe and having fun with them so it's it is the (laughs) it is i think the single most um you know, I've always dreamed of being a part of Top Shot in, in a, a certain right. way. But so to be able to create all of the challenges and to, you know, put little fun twists that you normally wouldn't see in the competition and keep the pros guessing, but also still encourage the amateurs, it's, it's something I'm really, really proud of. For lack of a better term, it's really introducing firearms to some of these kids. And like you said, I think it's amazing with Love It First Shot that, like you said, there are some girls that have shot a gun once and she's being paired with a professional shooter. And so I think the dynamic of that and, and being mentors and, and leading them the right way, the safe way through firearms journey is, is amazing. It's, it's one of those things where you're representing a, a, a broad segment of, you know, we have a college student, we have moms, we have, you know, professional instructors and, and you know, a woman who just runs social media. <laughs> you know, like there you there's go. a way, it's a way to um, connect women from all walks of life to say, Hey, look, she's doing it. You can try this too. Especially if you know how to say, Hey, this is what I want to learn. Who do I need to go to? It can be a really productive thing. And that's what we need. We need more women involved and we need to, you know, empower more women. I know that's such a cliche thing, but there's nothing more that makes us equal than, you know, across the board, being able to defend ourselves and in, in our, in what we believe in. No doubt. And, and being captain of Team Smith and Wesson and all the stuff that you are involved in, being kind of at the pedestal and the pinnacle of your field as a woman with a burden of feeling like maybe you have to, whether you want to or not, sometimes be the activist for women in firearms. Is that, is that a difficult task sometimes? I don't even, I don't even think of it that way. Um, oh, good. You know, good. The, the, 
neat thing about what I do, and I, I try very hard to stay accessible to as many people as possible, um, is just, you know, to take the first step. Because if somebody steps first, then somebody else will follow. And that's, that's exactly what has happened. It, it's what happened to me. I mean, I was that little junior competitor and I was watching people like Kay Clark, Mitchlick right. and, and Kippy Latham and Sheila Bray. And I'm like, you know what? They took the first steps. Annie Oakley took the first steps. Let's right, be honest. Right. Let's, um, let's, and, yeah. Let's, <laughs> and so, you know, when we have these women, to look up to, you know, I don't, I don't think of myself as the end all be all. I just think of I'm one of many and that's the really neat thing. And we just, you know, we just got to keep growing. You know, is there any advice that you could give to guys out there that might be dating someone or their wife that have historically not been involved or interested in shooting? Is there any advice that you could give to the guys out there that might have the women in their lives are interested possibly into getting to shooting? What kind of advice would you give them? So you got to treat it like your first date. <laughs> oh, there you go. I like you it. Have, I like you it. have to think about, instead of saying, hey, you need to do this with me or, or what I, I want you to go do this, come to a match with me, or I want to, you know, just shoot this, whatever. The best thing you can do is to say something. I want to share this experience with you. I want to, I want to, I want this, us to do this together as a way to be together. And when you look at it from that perspective, you look at the, the amazing couples in, in the shooting world that are doing it because they love to do it, not because they want to compete with each other, not because they want to tell each other what they want to do, but they, it's another way they can spend time that they enjoy together. And you're never going to know until you take that first step. So be as gentle and, and uh, kind with that first step <laughs> as possible and think of it like, you know, this is, you, you want to win her over in, and you want to win this person over. What's the best way to do it? Right. And since you've been involved, you know, you were the army female athlete of the year. So you kind of already been boosted up and people knew who you were, but when you got made a transition to a full-time professional shooter and you start becoming, you're writing the books and, and all that, how has the industry changed in regards to women since you kind of first started? What I love about the industry in particular is it's not, it's, it's becoming less and less about women's only products. It becomes more about, um, you know, how can this be modular? It's nothing is one size fits all anymore. And we're looking at different grip sizes, not just for women, but for everybody. We're thinking of all of the, all of the things that come into the big picture to make a better product, to make a, you know, a better offering for everyone. And that is what I like to see. Uh, you know, I'm not a big shrink it and pink it fan to say the least. Um, but I respect the fact that some women like pink, you know? And so I think there's a delicate balance. Um, but when you have a a product that works for everybody because you've been thoughtful and you are, are considering those things, I mean, that's, I feel like we're really hitting that point in the industry today and it's exciting. For women, and I'm not saying just girls, but let's say women in general, any age, that are interested in getting into competitive shooting. Mm-hmm. They, they've been introduced to firearms or they go to the range all the time. They practice and they think they're ready to take maybe that next step of competitive shooting. What's maybe a tip that you can give the women to help them start getting into competitive shooting? You know, just, just go for it. You know, do a little bit of research on the internet, figure out what's around you. That's one of the best places to to start and and go from there. Um, you're going to find that the shooting sports are so welcoming. Um, you can you can email me. You can email a lot of different women in this in the sports, and uh, it, it's it's a really wonderful opportunity. That don't don't be shy or timid about it. Just just go out and do it. 
as a whole, where do you think that the state of the gun industry is? Are you worried about the midterm elections where there could be some legislation coming on? Are you hopeful and, you know, are you positive about where the gun community is or where do you think that we are right now? I, you know, I, I never want to take what we have for granted. And so I, I fear the times that we become complacent because we have, you know, a president that's supportive of gun rights more so than we've had. Um, we have a Supreme Court situation that's, you know, a whole lot different it than it help. was. It does. Um, but I feel that we have a greater mission. And that is beyond just what we do when we head to the polls. Yes, we need to vote. Yes, we need to be informed. But we also need to expand. And we need to think about ways to encourage and inspire other people to see our way of life. And when that happens, they become, there's a different perspective. It goes beyond you know, arguing a point on Facebook. It goes beyond you know, having a debate on Twitter. It, it comes down to sharing your passion, sharing your sport, sharing your ideals in a way that is encouraging and welcoming and opens the door for real conversation. Uh, absolutely. I've said on a lot of my live shows and in different videos that, you know, my number one goal as far as the second amendment is to show daily by caring every day. If we can kind of show them every day that we are normal people with normal jobs, with normal lives, there are law abiding citizens. And maybe we start changing some minds to think is, well, man, I didn't know that you carry gun. I carry gun every day. You just can't see it. Yes. And you like me for the last 15 years. So what's changed now? Yes. Well, you're a gun guy. Am I? Or just am I a normal citizen that happens to carry a gun? You know, yeah. so I think that's, that's really big. And I love what you just said there that changing people's minds starts with just normal, simple, everyday stuff. It does. And, and I think that the key is don't go into it to hope to change their mind, go into it to open their mind. And that's, that's, that's a great point. That's a great <laughs> point. Um, I've got a couple rapid fire questions that I always okay. ask my guests. If you don't mind, the Let's first one is, is, do you carry? Yes. What's your favorite carry gun? The MMP shield M2.0 in nine millimeter. <laughs> there you go. I carry the shield nine millimeter. I, 95% of the time I carry the shield, um, I actually picked up a Walther PPQ subcompact last week. And so for the last week I've tried to carry it and uh, I enjoy it, but 99, well, 95% of the time it is my shield, which is, I've told people very well could go down as the greatest carry gun of all time. It's, it's sleek. It's, it's still got a power punch, but it's, it's great. Which is your favorite gun that you have in your arsenal? My, oh gosh, I hate this question. It's like, <laughs> ask, I, I always say this It's like asking a girl her favorite pair of shoes. Exactly. It depends on <laughs> Which kid do you like better? <laughs> I, know, I know. It's like, it depends on what I'm using it for. So at the right. moment, I am loving my, um, I have a new setup for, uh, I'm using 224 Valkyrie with uh, Federal oh, really? Premium's new stuff. So I, I, I custom built a, an M&P 15 with a JP Enterprise upper. And it's just, it's, the match season is over. So it's like my fun gun time. So right. if there's one gun out there, historical gun, modern gun whatever it is price is not an issue ammo costs are not an issue nfa is not an issue what's the one dream gun if there's one thing out there that you said man if i ever have a million dollars and i could get through the nfa and all of that stuff and everything's good to go you know whatever it is what's the one gun the dream gun uh, that julie Gallup would like to have can i have two absolutely you can all right <laughs> so one 
I got to have a Gatling gun. I've never shot oh, one. Oh, yeah. I want one. I think they're beautiful. And what a piece of history, right? Right, and right. The second would be um, Annie Oakley's twenty two rifle. And oh, wow. I like the, actually her rifle? I would love it. There's, you know, there's obviously artifacts. And if you had it, have a sure. chance to go to NRA Museum and check out all the firearms there, I mean, it's hard to pick just one. But I would love that. Uh, and uh, just that would be amazing. Talking about a literal, you know, priceless artifact right there. Yes. I mean, yes. priceless. Yes. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be pretty special. That would be really, really special. Yeah. Well, Julie, I certainly appreciate you joining the podcast. I know that you are busy. I want to give you a few minutes, should you wish to, talk about any projects that you want to promote, uh, websites, books, anything like that. Uh, please take a few minutes to tell everybody where they can find you and all that stuff. Uh, my pleasure. Everything and all of my life is pretty much at juliegollop.com. <laughs> I uh, share all my social media stuff there as well. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, I'm just trucking along, hopefully doing the best I can for the NRA, for the shooting sports in general. And uh, I do I do plan to have a Spanish version of my children's book coming out. In the, in really? The so, yeah. So it's it's one of those things that that's, I'm really excited about. Gabby Franco, of course, of Top Shot fame. Oh, yeah. Um, it has helped me translate the uh, the main portion of the book. And then I've also had a, uh, a wonderful person from Guatemala reach out to me to finish the rest of it. So hopefully, with any luck, awesome. it'll be out in time for holidays. Now, do you have plans for another book, maybe? Uh, you know, the next one that I, I have been asked to finish, <laughs> I certainly have compiled <laughs> a few things. Um, is a cookbook. So we'll, we'll see about that. Love it. I'd love it. Well, Julie, thank you so much. Guys, please go out and check out www.juliegollop.com where you can find all of their social media, all of her books, everything that you could possibly want to know and see about Julie is on there. Uh, Julie, you are a wonderful ambassador to the shooting sports for women, for kids, for the NRA. And, and I truly thank you uh, for coming on the podcast and, and oh, by the way, everything else, the 27 other things that you, you got going on. So thank you for taking time out of your busy life to join us. No, my pleasure. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Armed Citizen Podcast. To check out our full lineup of pro-gun media content, including our product reviews, live shows, and other Second Amendment activity, please check out our website, www.ghosttacticalproductions.com